goodness, look what's happened in terms of what's been hidden to us coming to the surface. Yeah. I mean, look what we know now we didn't know five years ago, three years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, we And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. It is the culmination of yet another season of Banal of America Audio. Over 40 guests have graced the stage here on the fifth season of this program, and as is tradition, we are closing the book with an absolutely epic guest and a monumental conversation. Before I preview our highly anticipated season finale, please allow me to break from the normal stylings of this program. Since it is the season finale, I want to make sure I reach out to as many people as possible, and it is time for me to come at you hardcore with the hat in hand and ask you folks out there who've been enjoying BOA Audio Season 5 throughout the last nine months to help us out a little bit, throw some change in the bucket, and make a donation to this program. This season has been tumultuous, it has been crazy, and it definitely has been costly. So I would like to get the program out of the red and into the black, or at the very least, break even here on season five and the only way we're going to be able to do that is through help from the awesome BOA audio listeners how can you help us out that's simple there's two ways to make a donation you can go to banal of america b-i-n-n-a-l-l of america.com and click the paypal button that'll bring you to paypal they'll walk you through the process it's simple and secure if you want to send us your help via snail mail there's a way to do that as well we've got a special p.o box set up for you the address for that is tim banal b-i-n-n-a-l-l p.o box 232 pinehurst mass 01866 and you spell pinehurst p-i-n-e-h-u-r-s-t and as we say at the end of the program each week no donation is too small and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Please help us out if you can. It would be greatly appreciated. Now let's get down to business here on the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. It is the proverbial showcase of the immortals it is our final episode of the season each year we try to bring on someone who is a supernova in the world of esoterica and this year is no different it is definitely one of the most requested and anticipated interviews in the history of our program as we proudly welcome a bona fide global esoteric superstar the incomparable david ike let me tell you a little bit about this interview before we kick things off. 
It was taped just a few weeks before David Icke embarked on a 10-city, 8-country world tour to discuss his new book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees. And he joins us for an over two-hour conversation that covers a myriad of different topics. We start things out, of course, by addressing David Icke's infamous reptilian theory. We're going to cover that from a number of different angles, including the Fuhrer, that continues to surround it, how he feels about being so closely associated with the reptilian theories, practically typecast as the reptilian guy, and we'll get his take on critics who read different interpretations into the reptilian theory. Then we're going to delve into his latest work, which sees him allege that the Illuminati agenda is on the verge of crumbling and that the moon is an artificial satellite. We'll look at some of the more important and key moments in his career as an esoteric researcher. Thus, we're going to get into his notorious Wogan interview from 1991, which saw him become a household name in the UK, and we'll find out how that changed him personally and professionally. He'll also reflect on his return to Wogan 15 years later in 2006, as well as his notorious turquoise period from the early 1990s. Beyond that, we'll learn what he thinks about contemporary UFO reports, the stagnation of the 9-11 truth movement, and getting seriously deep, we'll find out what David Icke thinks about the very nature of God. That's just a scratch at the surface. David Icke takes us deep down the rabbit hole here, my friends, and this interview will definitely give you some serious food for thought long after the episode has concluded. For those of you who are unfamiliar with David Icke, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. David Icke is a former professional soccer player, journalist, and network anchorman for the BBC. He was the spokesman in the 1980s for the British Green Party, and since 1990 has been a full-time investigator into who and what is really controlling the world. Describing himself as the most controversial speaker and author in the world, he has written 16 books explaining his position and has attracted a substantial following across the political spectrum. His words are designed to inspire all of us to be who we really are, to fling open the door of the mental prison we build for ourselves, and to walk into the light of freedom. In the spring of 2010, he released his newest book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, and in September of 2010, he launched a worldwide speaking tour, which will feature 10 stops in 8 countries. His website is www.davidike.com. Pretty simple, all one word, davidike.com. Check it out. With all that said, I know you've been waiting quite a while to hear this conversation, so without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on August 4th, 2010. The incomparable David Ike joins us for the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. As has become custom here on the program, the final episode of the season really is the showcase of the immortals. In years past, we've talked to Gary McKinnon, Brad Steiger, Jacques Vallée, and John Lear. And this year, joining the pantheon of greats is someone who really is a worldwide phenomenon in this field. He's written 16 books. His latest book is Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, and... I mean, if you want to know why this guy's a season finale guest, let me tell you about where he's heading over the next uh, few months. 
here. He's going to London on September 11th, Prague September 12th, New York City October 17th, San Francisco October 23rd, Lisbon, Portugal October 30th, Barcelona in November, Amsterdam as well, and then next year he's already lined up Kiev and Mexico as well as L.A. So, <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. This guy is a worldwide phenomenon, and it's a real thrill to talk to him. When I first started this program, I made a list of all the people in Esoterica that I wanted to talk to, and he was on the list. So I'm very excited to finally get the chance to sit down and talk to him. He is, of course, the incomparable David Ike, David, welcome to BOA Audio. Thank you, Tim. Pleasure. Now, I suppose we should start out, of course, with the question that everybody wants to know. Uh, as a former football goalkeeper, what happened there in the World Cup, buddy? How did your uh, UK goalkeeper there let that ball slip right through his hands? I know. They used to call him Cinderella because he kept missing the ball, you know what I mean? Same as me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I... I, I I kind of follow football a little bit, but at the periphery, really, because, you know, what I'm doing, is, is, as you know, is uh, all-encompassing, <laughs> isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, it's on the periphery, and uh, how England do, I couldn't care less. I, I'm not really into uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah, the nationalism, that kind of thing. Oh, know. that business, yeah. Yeah, it seems a little uh, imposed. Yeah, we get that in America here as well. Now, okay, all that joking aside, now let's get down to uh, what I like to call the 400-pound reptile in the room, and that, of course, is you know, <laughs> the, the whole reptilian angle to your research. Uh, uh -huh. I, know, I know you sort of went down that road starting in 1999. That's been like 11 years ago now, so how do you feel about sort of always having that attached to your stuff? You know, you're always sort of like linked to the reptilian theory. I told people I was going to be interviewing you, and that was like the first thing they mentioned, so it's like... You're sort of like a band that has the one, one great hit that everybody wants to hear all the time. So, I mean, how's that? How do you feel about all that? I don't feel anything, Tim. Really, I mean, you know, if if you um, research something and uh, it, you you conclude that it's it's the phenomenon is real, then um, being attached to it is is fair enough. You know, see. Uh, when I when I started out on this journey twenty years ago, consciously anyway. My goal was to uncover what was happening in the world, who was really uh, uh, pulling the, the strings behind the people that appeared to be in power, and what was reality? Who are we? What are we doing here? What's this all about, this thing called life? And so my interest from the start was going wherever the information took me. And I don't have any uh, preconceived political ideas, nationalistic ideas, cultural ideas, religious ideas or beliefs, and therefore there was no editing or, or censorship, if you like, of where I would go based on preconceived idea and preconceived belief. So um, uh, where it takes me is where it takes me. And if people want to ridicule it or whether they're interested in it, well, you know, that's, that's for them to decide. You know, I, I'm not here to tell people what to think and tell people what to believe. I'm just here to put information in front of people. Make of it what you will. If, if, if you like this bit and that doesn't feel right, well, that's fair enough. If, if you like it all, well, that's fair enough. If you like none of it, that's equally fair enough. <laughs> because, you know, the, the world is full of people. Uh, the whole system is full of people. And so much of the conspiracy research movement is full of people, uh, to a large extent, who are telling people this is what you must believe. We're drowning in that stuff. We don't want any more. We, we're drowning in religious people. Uh, uh, leaders of various and endless kinds, who are all the same program under different names anyway, saying, if you don't believe this, hell and damnation, you must believe this, if you don't believe this, you're wrong. I mean, that's a load of old rubbish. I mean, 
what we need to do is to be at peace with, with ourselves pursuing information wherever it may take us without, oh my God, what will they think of if I talk about this? I couldn't care less. Yeah. And, and also be at peace in the same way, uh, Tim, of, of saying, well, we must be at peace with how people receive that information. So if pe how people um, react to what I put out is entirely up to them. It's none of my business. It's their business. So I'm at peace to go anywhere the information takes me, and I'm at peace with how people receive it. I mean, when you, 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 you cut away all the kind of programmed reactions, um, like a software program, press enter when you put this data in and you get the same reaction from every computer. Once we cut away from that and, and take a deep breath, you just see how, how uh, even people who uh, go on um, – and on about censorship and suppression of information, who, who uh, also jump on people who uh, react against their information. I mean, hold on a second. You know, we're, we're either in favor of the free uh, flow of information and let people have the uh, basic human right of deciding what they think of it, or we're not, and I am. And so I have no problem with being attached to the reptilian thing at all. In fact, um, quite the opposite, because I, I would strongly suggest it is a fundamental aspect, a fundamental uh, foundation to what is actually behind um, the, uh, the, the families that demonstrably, increasingly demonstrably, are, are running the global economic, political, uh, business and media system. Okay, okay. Now, I was looking at some of, uh, I, I shudder to admit it, but I was looking at Wikipedia to uh, get sort of a more rounded idea of what other people are saying, you know, and... Uh, I found it interesting, you know, that there's sort of like interpretations of your work here, especially the reptile part, where people say, you know, this kind of took me by surprise, where it's a Swiftian allegory, which I, I, or that you don't even really necessarily believe, like, the reptile part, they're using it as a metaphor for something else. But that is that the case, or do you straight up, you know... <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God, I think I've lost the will to live, Tim. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking literally. And, and when you read uh, my books and the, 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 the massive of, of detail that I've written about this to suggest uh, what people are, uh, a few... Um, people are suggesting they have a right to do it i mean the right to be wrong is a fundamental right you know <laughs> without the right to be wrong we don't have freedom um uh, so uh, that's fine but uh, you know it, it takes on uh, ludicrous proportions when you when you read what i say and the detail uh, that, that i i write about of course i'm i'm talking literally if i wasn't um i would say so because you know, I, I, I passed uh, um, a point a long time ago when I went through staggering levels of ridicule in this country, in Britain, in the early 1990s, where I couldn't walk down any street in Britain without being laughed at by most of the people. I would turn on the television, a comedian only had to say my name to get a laugh. There wasn't a joke necessary. And what, what, I, what that did, uh, all part of my journey, was clean me out of that, uh, that prison that most people live in, which is fear of what other people think of you. That's what stops people speaking their truth. It stops people uh, living their life as they want to live it, because it's, it's outside of the, the norms that, that, that uh, other people accept. Um, and so 
going through that, if you like, cleansing of that prison has, has, has left me um, completely at peace with whatever anybody says about me. I really couldn't care less because I've learned over the, over the years, uh, Tim, that uh, what they're saying today, they'll say something different tomorrow. So why bother about what they say today? You know, it, it doesn't matter to me what, what they say. And, you know, I, I know what I'm saying. I know what I mean when I'm saying it. And if other people want to interpret it in their own way, well, that's fair enough. Like I say, the right to be wrong is a fundamental human right, which must be protected. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear, I presume you were speaking literally, but I kind of wanted to speak to these strange sort of interpretations of your stuff. It's sort of interesting that people do that. <laughs> well, I think, I think what it is, Tim, one of the things is that, um, you know, when, when you look at most people's journey from what we call cradle to grave, the, the, um, the, the range of perception of what is possible is, is, is absolutely shockingly narrow in most people because the system has been set up to keep them there. If, you, if you're a few and you want to control the vast majority, you have to suppress the, um, the range and expansion of consciousness and awareness and sense of possibility. And if um, you want to um, keep people in that, uh, that prison where they think what is possible is, is a fraction of what is actually possible, then of course what you have to do is suppress information about um, what is going on, what, 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 is, what is possible. And when you do that, um, you get people going through their lives, dismissing things that are actually true because they are too fantastic for them to uh, accept. And so uh, they dismiss it by reflex action, like the reptilian thing. That's a load of rubbish, mate. How much research have you done on this? I don't have to. It's rubbish. You see, if you can... Um, take people down a journey through their lives and you can this is fundamental to the whole thing and you can keep them in ignorance of the nature of reality itself i.e. that uh, that this world is not physically real it's it's a holographic illusion and therefore um, all the things that People say, that's impossible. You can't do that in a solid world, mate. You can't shapeshift from a, a, a human to a reptilian, just one solid body to a solid body, mate. You can't do it. Rubbish. Uh, uh, but when you start to realize that actually uh, beyond that uh, uh, kind of um, version of the world that the system gives us, and it insists uh, through a uh, threat of ridicule and, and dismissal if we don't accept it, uh, actually is an, uh, the, the real nature of reality, which is this um, world that we think is so solid, actually isn't solid at all. Um, and uh, when people say to me, you can't shapeshift between a solid human body and a solid reptilian body, well, I, you know, I hold my hand up. Of course you can't, and I'm not saying that. But when you start to understand the, the illusory nature of reality and how the physical is not physical at all, then suddenly you start to understand how the apparently incredible and ridiculous and bizarre is perfectly logically explainable. Let me go down that road with the reptilians and the shape-shifting. Okay. What I'm saying is that this reality is manipulated uh, by uh, reptilian entities and, and others, but they seem to overwhelmingly take a reptilian form, that operate just outside of the, the frequency range that the human senses can decode, because that's what it is. You know, I'm sitting here now, 
um, and all the radio and television stations broadcasting to this area are in the same space that I am occupying now. Yeah. I can't see them. They can't see each other because they're on different wavelengths. I mean, the wavelengths of the radio stations are coming through this wall to my radio. How can they do that? Because they're on a completely different wavelength and therefore the twain shall never meet because they're too far apart on the dial. And um, we are living in the equivalent of a television station, if you like, which um, the human body computer, as I call it, um, decodes. And there's a frequency range that it can decode. And, and um, therefore, we're, if you like, on uh, BBC One uh, television. Now, BBC Two and BBC Three and ITV and CBS and NBC are all sharing the same space. Um, as uh, uh, as the BBC One, which I can I, I, I can um, perceive because that's the wavelength I'm on, but they, I'm I'm not aware of them. And if I was on uh, that their station, I wouldn't be aware of the one that I'm on now. You know, when you're on a radio uh, station, say Radio One, and then you go to Radio Two. Radio 1 doesn't cease to exist just because you've moved the dial to Radio 2. It goes on broadcasting. It's just that you're not on its wavelength anymore. Therefore, what we call the world is actually just a range of frequencies, a very narrow range of frequencies, actually, which the human body computer is decoding. Now, just outside of the range that we can decode, and, and indeed in the same space, is all the other existences, worlds, uh, realities in, in all infinity. And just outside of this one, uh, in, in uh, frequency terms, is this um, uh, realm, this reality, where these reptilians operate. And uh, it, it, they have to um, uh, manipulate this world overwhelmingly through humans that are in this world, that are in this frequency. For instance, um, if you uh, see these um, situations that you, you, you see from time to time in uh, scientific laboratories where the scientists are working with material which um, is too dangerous to, to, to interact with directly. So the material is in a tank and they're outside the tank and they put their hands down these big uh, gloves that go inside the tank, and so they're outside the reality, if you like, but they can manipulate inside the reality through these gloves. Well, the reason that the, um, the Illuminati, this, this network of uh, manipulation within our reality, is so obsessed with bloodline and why the ancient accounts all over the world constantly refer to the interbreeding between the, quote, gods and humans to create hybrid bloodlines, which have been perpetuated right to this day, um, is because they are a specific vehicle, a hybrid vehicle, that allow these entities to manipulate this reality from overwhelmingly outside this reality. And everything, we talk about uh, DNA and, and, and cells and genetics, but what like everything is, including this wall in front of me, at its core is vibration. It's a waveform phenomenon. And uh, therefore, um, DNA in its makeup is a vibrational phenomenon. And just, just as everything is. And so wh what you've got with these hybrid bloodlines is a, um, which is, which is overwhelmingly, uh, part reptilian and part human, um, is a vibrational compatibility, 
in these particular bloodlines, these Illuminati bloodlines, with these entities operating just outside of, of, of human sight and this, this human reality that we decode. Therefore, the ability to control the mental and emotional faculties and processes and decisions and behavior of these hybrid bloodlines is much more powerful because of the much more uh, powerful vibrational connection than it is with the general population. So what, is, what they've set up over the over the uh, the period that this has been going on, is a network of, of bloodlines that, that that have this vibrational connection to these uh, entities, and a secret society network that manipulates these particular bloodlines into the positions of, of, of power and influence. And in doing so, you're actually putting these reptilian entities into these positions of power and influence. But because we're only decoding um, within the, the range of human sight, we're only decoding the hybrid human level. We're not decoding the entities that possess and overshadow and dictate the behavior and perceptions of these particular bloodline families. And one of the things that the, you, know, you, you find when you research this uh, and you follow these bloodlines, one of, one of the things that comes up again and again is the... Um, the way that these bloodline families are involved in what we call Satanism. Uh, ritual sacrifice, blood rituals, and all the rest of it uh, going on, you know, in the shadows and, and, and in secret all over the world on a scale that beggars belief. And um, what they're doing um, with, with those rituals is actually interacting with these with these entities i've talked to people all over the world who who have been at some of these rituals and they've seen them they've seen them manifest i mean you know I mean, it's not one or two it's loads i've been doing this for 20 years i've been to 50 countries i've seen the common themes build and build and build and build and so if you are um looking at um one of these hybrid bloodlines at certain times particularly when um they're in rituals uh, and they're, they're they're dealing in blood drinking that seems to make um this uh, shape-shifting happen and also when they are in states of high emotion or high anger and fury it seems to happen too what it what it does is that charge you know, when you feel high emotion or, or, or what have you, you can almost feel an electrical charge going through your body. Well, that electrical charge, if it's powerful enough, can break up the vibrational uh, state of the hybrid and the, uh, uh, the uh, um, possessing reptilian so that the reptilian um, level comes into this reality and at that moment you can you can read it you can decode it and to the person observing someone one minute is a human next minute is a reptilian and then is human again and it's not a physical thing because the the, the human body's not 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 uh, physical solid and neither is the reptilian it's all energy it's the way we decode it that, that makes it appear to be uh, solid uh, and uh, so the more you understand about the nature of reality and its illusory nature, the more the apparently fantastic becomes explainable. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And that's what I find particularly interesting, too, about your stuff is that you seem to have, you know, it, it starts with the reptilian stuff, but then it moves into this sort of information theory stage, if you will, this beyond the five senses, this dimensionality uh, aspect, which I find uh, pretty interesting. So. I'm glad you sort of fleshed all that out so we don't so we can catch all the people up that <laughs> weren't familiar with exactly where your work has gone. Now, 
talking about this new book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, I found it interesting that uh, the book is actually pretty optimistic, which is surprising for a conspiracy book or anything in the conspiracy genre. You don't see optimism much <laughs> in, in this uh, realm of research. So, you know, what, what gives you the reason to be optimistic and, and have the feeling that we're on the cusp of this golden age of consciousness, as you've been talking about? Well, you know, it's, um, there's so many different aspects to bring together before um, – you know, certain things can be uh, fully appreciated. And uh, one of the, the key uh, things that people need to appreciate is, is this whole idea of, of illusory reality. And the fact that we live, as I put it, in an equivalent of a cosmic Internet. Um, and what I mean by that is this. I have a computer in front of me now, and uh, if there was... Um, uh, the uh, wireless internet in this room, um, I would look around me and I couldn't see the wireless internet. I can just see the room. I can't see anything. Yeah. But but I would, t if I could uh, put this uh, computer on and tune it to that wireless internet, i.e. log on to the internet, um, suddenly a whole collective reality uh, which is accessible by people anywhere in the world, uh, virtually, apart from the firewalled areas like China, um, it, it comes on, on my screen. It's a whole collective reality. And when people talk about, well, you know, if we create our own reality, um, how come we, we look out and we all see the same car going past and the same house across the road? Yeah. It's because the basis of our, our reality is, is, um, is like the, it's like the wireless internet. It's information which we're decoding and that we, we um, uh, decode it into um, what is the equivalent of our computer screen which, which goes on in, in the brain. Um, this world that we think is outside of us uh, uh, and, and of course you know it constantly seems to be like that actually only exists inside the brain in the form that we're experiencing it. And so um, we are um, like, like the, the, the uh, computer on the uh, on the desktop decoding this cosmic internet, uh, and then we are deciding, as we do with the, the uh, you know the internet we have, what in effect what websites are we going to go to? In other words, where am I going to go in my life? What interests am I going to have? What do I make of this website? What do I think of this situation? What do I not think of this situation? And that's where we put our unique spin on it. Um, we, uh, we have different opinions and different views, but the base reality is, is there all the time, the background reality, just like the World Wide Web. Now, this um, reality, I would suggest, this is what I'm saying in the book, um, goes through a cycle, and it's uh, a vibrational cycle. And as this vibrational cycle goes through, it changes the information that we're receiving, that base background information. Uh, and because it's going in a cycle, it seems you can symbolize it, uh, if you like, as a loop. I mean, there are, you know, people that I've talked about, I've had a book about this, that name too, called The Time Loop. It's like a time loop. It goes around yeah. um, uh, through a cycle and then comes back, not necessarily exactly to the start, but pretty much. And this is where y you see in the ancient world all these legends and accounts about the secular nature of time. Uh, in, in Asia and the, uh, the Indian culture, they have the yugas. Uh, I mean, the Mayans talked about the secular nature of time. And uh, f f the, what I'm saying is that this um, 
cycle, which which in our version of time, which is an illusion too, is uh, goes over a, a vast period goes through different cycles. Some cycles are really expansive where consciousness is, is, is expanding and, and awareness expands. And then other parts of the cycle, it's more challenging. It's more about limitation. It's more about uh, suppression and, and, and uh, experiencing that uh, part of the cycle. And there, there comes a point, obviously, um, as you go around, uh, where one part of this cycle is replaced by another. One yuga is replaced by another. And when I first um, uh, had my mind-opening, mind-blowing experiences uh, in 1990 and that period, um, one of the first things I kind of started to learn by a sequence of... Um, uh, synchronistic events and experiences, shall we say, was that there was a new cycle coming because there was a vibrational change coming that was going to wake people up from their uh, amnesia. It was going to have the effect also of bringing to the surface all that had remained hidden up to this point so we could see what we've not been able to see uh, uh, going on in the world uh, up to that, that time. Now, in 1990, Tim, there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever of any awakening of consciousness. There was certainly no evidence that um, all this hidden stuff was coming to the surface. But it was so strong in my life and so strong in, in, in uh, the synchronicity of my life that it was coming to me that the first book I wrote after my you know head blew off was <laughs> actually called Truth Vibrations. And it was called Truth Vibrations after these this vibrational change that I was learning about. Now, 20 years later, Let's look at it again. Um, look what's happened in terms of uh, people awakening to a new sense of sense uh, of self in the world. And my goodness, look what's happened in terms of what's been hidden to us coming to the surface. Yeah. I mean, look what we know now we didn't know five years ago, three years ago, never mind 15 and 20. Um, and so what we're looking at, I would suggest, is living through a period where we're on the cusp where one period, one yuga, for want of a term, one period of this cycle, is, uh, uh, which is based on suppression and uh, limitation, uh, and what my, people might call a dark period, um, and we're moving out of that into a period um, which will be about a, a massive expansion of consciousness and awareness and understanding and perception of self and the world, seeing the unity of everything rather than seeing everything as divided and apart from everything else. But of course, there's a point where the two are basically uh, existing together. There's going to come a tipping point where the new epoch, the new energy, will become the dominant one. And that's not too many years ago away, I would, I would suggest. But at the moment, we're still in a period where, the, uh, up to this point, the, the, the previous yuga energy is still dominant, though losing its, its dominance is with everyone that starts to wake up and perceive life in a different way. And so we're, 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 people, and I completely understand this, look at what's happening in the world now, and I'm kind of monitoring it and tracking it and everything on my website every day, um, where the control system... Um, it seems to be getting more and more power and all the rest of it in so many areas and pushing itself on. What I'm saying uh, in the book and I'm saying here is that uh, we can read that another way. 
and that is that we are in the process of seeing the control system's death throes, where it's throwing everything it can at us like a cornered rat to try to hold on to a power structure which is um, in its in its dying days. You see, these people, Tim, the, these entities, they don't want to be on public display. Yeah. They would much rather go on as they have in the past, controlling covertly, um, where people are uh, controlled without realizing, uh, A, the extent to which they're controlled, some people are they're controlled at all, and certainly not understanding um, the, the, the ultimate force behind that control. That's what they want, because you can, you can go like that forever. But what's uh, happening, and I, you know, I talk about this in the book, that these entities, because they're not actually in the timeline that we're experiencing, they can see down our timeline. They can see uh, uh, things uh, to a certain extent further, further along the timeline than we can. They have known for a considerable amount of time that this energetic change, this awakening was coming. And what they've been planning for, and that's why it's at this time of all times when the control system uh, is throwing everything at us that, that this awakening is happening. That's not a coincidence. Those two are things are completely connected because the control system is trying to batten down the hatches and hold the dike against this vibrational change. And, of course, it's, 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 it's whistling in, in the dark because, it, of course, you can't stop this energetic change. It's going to happen. Um, but it's trying to, and for the next few years, it's going to seem as if uh, the control system is is going to prevail, and then the whole thing's going to come down because we're going to reach the point where this new energy, these truth vibrations, the energy of expansion and a, uh, of the new epoch is going is going to become the dominant one. And I think we're seeing uh, some signs of that all the time. Well, I am anyway, as I see people wake up, or I thought would never wake up in this lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and so um, we are um, uh, at, at a very amazing time where we are living through this epoch change. And the more that we stop cooperating with the system and stop acquiescing with it, um, the less extreme it will be before it actually comes down. Because it is coming down. But, you know, if we, if we don't, if we just walk away and, 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 and do nothing or just acquiesce, yes, sir, no, sir, then um, it's going to get even more extreme before it actually comes down, which is going to be very, very unpleasant indeed. But what you're saying is eventually, no matter what, this police state, New World Order, whatever you want to call it, Illuminati, all that stuff is bound to fail because of this impending golden age of consciousness. Yes, I'm, I'm absolutely saying that. Um, and uh, it, like I say, it, it's no accident or coincidence that the police state, not just the police state covertly, because for a long time we, we've been controlled covertly, for an enormous amount of time, of course. But I mean, what I'm talking about is it's now becoming blatantly obvious to more and more people. I mean, never mind the reptilian thing, never mind this energetic stuff that I'm talking about. Let's just go on the basic everyday experience yeah. of people. People, more and more people are saying, I mean, I know a police officer, quite a high one actually, who's saying, all oh, our freedoms are being taken away. It's incredible. It's terrible. Um, and, and so even they're starting to see it now. And, and, and it's on public display because they are having to um, become more and more extreme in their efforts to stop this awakening happening um, uh, because the awakening is happening. See, 
everything connects to, uh, once you start to um, see this, these basic themes. We are being bombarded with genetically modified food, with uh, electromagnetic pollution and uh, chemically infested food because the body computer is an electrochemical organism on, on one level. And therefore, it has an optimum electrochemical balance to best decode reality in its sharpest, most expansive form. And so all these things are constantly destabilizing the, the um, electrochemical balance so it does not function. It's like a computer with a virus in it. It's not working properly. It's not decoding reality. It's not decoding information in the way um, that, that it could. This is also one of the key reasons, not the only reason, there are many, but one of the key reasons why the system is designed to create maximum fear, maximum stress, maximum anxiety, um, maximum worry. It's because um, those low vibrational, imbalanced emotions also knock the body computer decoding system out of kilter. And that's what they're trying to do. And, 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 and you know, it, it's, uh, it sounds a very negative thing, but actually when you think about it, it's a very, very positive thing. When you take it from this perspective, look at all the different multi-levels that they're having to manipulate us through and all the different things they're having to throw at us. And that tells you something. And that is that humans in their true um, uh, form, in their true expression of potential, are fantastic genius uh, and of amazing potential and amazing abilities and amazing uh, potential for uh, expansion of awareness and seeing beyond the illusion. But, uh, and that's why they have to throw at, uh, these things at us all the time and why they're having to throw more and more and more all the time is because the awakening is getting stronger and stronger and stronger all the time and they're terrified of it. Very interesting, very interesting. Like I said, uh Surprisingly optimistic. Are you sure you're a conspiracy theory researcher or not? I don't know here with this optimism, but I'll take it. Um, well, you know, uh, what, what, when I was uh, uh, going through my my mass awakening um, in uh, 1990, 91, um, and the truth vibration stuff came up and all that was going to happen, um, one of the key themes was this is not an if and it's not a maybe. It's, it's basically a done deal. This epoch change is going to happen. The question for humanity is this, um, I was told, how are you going to um, interact with this change? You know, are you going to um, uh, stand in, in uh, the river, which is getting uh, faster and faster in its flow by the day, and stand there and say, I ain't moving, I'm going to stay how I was before, I'm going to hold my status quo, I ain't changing. Um, or are you going to get on the airbed and just flow with it and, 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 and enjoy the ride, the, 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 the amazing uh, change and expansion of consciousness and awareness and potential that is there for the taking? And of course, you know, you can look at the world, Tim, and you can see those people. 
who have got on the airbed and are flying with it, and you can see the people who are still standing there saying, I ain't moving. And funnily enough, there's a quite a number of those people, I ain't moving, within conspiracy, conspiracy research. And it takes the form of, and I'm not knocking this at all, I'm just making an observation. Yeah. It takes the form of, I will only accept there's a conspiracy based on human beings, uh, the five cents level, political intrigue, greedy corporations, and greedy families who want to uh, control the world for their own greed. Uh, I ain't going any further than that. And by the way, my religion has to be part of this as well, or I ain't going there either. And what we are being challenged to do in this epoch change, this energetic change, and therefore this opportunity to expand consciousness, is to realize that we've been living in a box of perception so unbelievably small um, compared with what there is to see and what there is to perceive. And, and basically, it's like you can go on the, 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 the Internet in, in, in most countries of the world, still, just, and you can go anywhere you want on the Internet. But you go into China, and they firewalled off vast areas of the uh, Internet that Chinese people can't access because the authorities there don't want them to get access to that information because it will change their perception of the Chinese authorities. And, and, and that's uh, not just symbolic, it's a, 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 a very strong analogy of, of what's happened to humanity. We've been manipulated to, to live our lives in a tiny, tiny firewalled off uh, box of reality, and we have accepted uh, through that that there are very strict limitations to everything, limitations to possibility. Uh, like It's like people say, Look, this guy, mate, all right, he's just said he saw this UFO appear out of nowhere and then disappear, okay? He's on something. Don't you talk to me about that. That's l ludicrous. Now, if you're in the box and you've gone through this process of allowing your sense of possibility to be uh, 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 concertinaed like that, to be limited like that, then to you, that's impossible. But when you uh, get even the basics of this reality, which is a frequency range, then something coming into this frequency range, I can see it, and because it, it came uh, into this frequency range from another reality, it appeared to appear out of nowhere, all it did was change its vibrational state to sync with this one. Therefore, I can now see it with my decoding mechanism called eyes and brain. And then it goes back and reverts to its original uh, vibrational state, frequency state. And therefore, it's gone outside of my ability to decode it. And to my perception, to my observation, it has disappeared into nowhere. Now, <laughs> you know, this is what I'm talking about earlier, Tim, when if you can suppress people's sense of what's possible, they will laugh in the face of the truth because they'll think it's too uh, fantastic to, to be real. Yeah, exactly. Another aspect to uh, the new book that I found interesting is you sort of brought the moon into all this and suggest that, for lack of a better term, the moon's sort of like the headquarters for these reptilians. So my first thought is, should we blow up the moon? I'm just well, uh, <laughs> no, uh, well, I think that, that, would, that would have a, a, a few um, rather um, <laughs> large implications. No, I'll tell you where, where it came from. Uh, and, and really, uh, I need to um, kind of 
talk about some of the stuff that happened to me uh, um, 20 years ago. That's fine. Uh, be, to, 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 to get people to see where I'm, I'm kind of coming from. Um, when I was a television presenter uh, and a national spokesman for the British Green Party through the 1980s, towards the end of the 80s, I had this um, strange experience that got more and more powerful. And that, that is that when I was in a room alone, Suddenly, they didn't seem to be. Uh, I didn't seem to be alone. There seemed to be another presence there. And over a period of a year, it built up and built up and built up until eventually, uh, I, I um, was sitting on the side of a bed in a hotel in London when I was working for the BBC. And I said into the into the into the space of the room, "If there's something there, would you please contact me? Because you're driving me up the wall." <laughs> and uh, about I don't know, a matter of not long later, days rather than weeks later. Uh, a series of events happened which took me to um, uh, a psychic. And um, uh, I, all, all I did was I went along, because I've got rheumatoid arthritis, and I went along to her and I said, look, um, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not taking drugs for it because I want my body to last me a lifetime, uh, a long lifetime. Um, so can you do your hands-on healing? Told her nothing else. Didn't tell her what had been happening to me or anything. So I went a couple of times, got the healing and all the stuff, and then I went the third time, and suddenly uh, in the middle of it, I felt like a spider's web on my face, like a cobweb. And uh, this kind of hit me because I'd read in uh, this lady's book, who I was part of the synchronicity, synchronicity of me getting to her, that um, sometimes when other uh, levels of reality, consciousness, whatever you want to call them, uh, are trying to lock into you, you sometimes feel like a spider's web on your face. Okay. Anyway, about 15, I never said anything to her about what I was feeling. I just thought, oh, God, that's that spider's web, I feel. Anyway, about 15 seconds later, she kicks her head back and uh, says, my God, I'm going to have to close my eyes for this one, and starts uh, saying that she was seeing this figure in her mind and uh, was, was giving me information. And it, it was that I was going to go out. I mean, just think of it, Tim, at this time, I, I, I'm presenting sport for the BBC and news, um, and um, uh, I'm, I'm a national spokesman of the Green Party. And, and suddenly this lady's telling me that... Um, uh, she's being told to tell me I'm going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets. Uh, where I'm going with this is one of the things I was, I was told a load of things at that time, and, and uh, again in another meeting with her a week later, uh, which have all happened. Um, apart from one thing, they've all happened, and um, or are happening. And two of the things that I was told was this. This is uh, 20 years ago, nearly. So it is 20 years ago. Sometimes he will say things and wonder where they came from. They will be our words. And knowledge will be put into his mind, and at other times he will be led to knowledge. Well, we have a, we have an, a, a famous advertisement in this country uh, for, um, you know, household stuff. And uh, the punchline is, it does exactly what it says on the tin. And I have to say that over the last 20 years, what I've just said um, has done exactly what it said on the tin. Um, what what uh, has happened is that I've had this these kind of if you like insights out of nowhere that, about something, and then all the if you like five cents level of research has come to me after that initial insight. This has been going on for the best part of 20 years, and so I, I recognize it. I recognize it when the energy in the room changes and suddenly some insight comes in. So what happened with the moon, uh, Tim, was um, I was writing this book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, and I, I wasn't incorporating the moon at that time. And I sat down at this very computer where I'm sitting now, and um, the energy in the room changed very demonstrably. And what 
suddenly went through my mind very clearly was the moon's not real. The moon's a construct, right? So I sat there and I thought, well, I've been here many times before, but the moon's not real. Let's have a look at this. So what I did, expecting to find nothing, is I typed in various um, words uh, into uh, a search engine based on that kind of theme. And within, oh, God, no more than a minute, two minutes, up, up it came, uh, a book called Who Built the Moon by two researchers called Christopher Knight and uh, Alan Butler. And uh, I sent for it, and I read it immediately, and uh, I was uh, kind of taken aback by a lot of the information in it because it was saying the moon cannot be real. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, that's exactly what the insight came. So I then, of course, as you do, I turned my focus on this. And as, as with the process over the last 20 years, after the insight, the five sense information comes my way um, pretty quickly. And one of the things that they, they say in this book is the moon is bigger than it should be apparently older than it should be, much lighter in mass than it should be. It occupies an unlikely orbit and is also uh, so extraordinary that all existing explanations for, the presence, uh, for its presence are fraught with difficulties and none of them could be considered remotely watertight. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that, that relates to many things here because we're born into this world. This is where the box and the limitation of uh, perception of possibility comes in. We're born into this world and it's like, well, this is how the world is, mate, isn't it? Yeah. And it, this is just, just a quick aside, but an important one. This is why um, we are so, the generations alive today, older generations alive today, are playing such a very, very important role. Because we uh, have still the uh, ability to compare what the world was like before to what it is now and becoming now. Young people born into the world now are born into the world of the police state. They're born into schools with cameras all over the place. They're born um, into schools where they're giving fingerprints for their school meals. To them, this surveillance and control is, well, that's the way it is, mate. So, you know, and, and it's the same with the moon. It comes up, it goes through its cycle, and... Um, well, of course, it's the moon, mate. It's always been there. Well, when you start to do the research, and I, you know, I do a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in the in the book on it. Um, you, you find that actually there are extraordinary anomalies relating to the moon. Like, it's much bigger than it should be. I mean, it's, it's been postulated by some uh, scientific writers that um, if the Earth had a satellite at all, and with its magnetic field, that is far from certain, it should be maybe 30 miles around. This one's 2,160, I think it is, miles around. It's massive. I mean, some scientists even talk not about a moon planet relationship but a dual planet relationship yeah. then then you um, you ask the question where did the moon come from and then you find something else that you've come across again and again and again in different areas that what is accepted as scientific fact actually turns out to be a scientific theory the the the, the official theory which has been accepted as, as fact by repetition like most uh, fact is um, is that um, the Earth was hit in its earliest for, for times of formation by a Mars-type planet, and a great chunk broke off and became the Moon. 
When the physics of that didn't work out, they, they called the, the first one the whack theory. They then uh, came up, when the physics didn't work out, with the double whack theory, which is that this Mars-type planet hit the Earth and then um, came back and gave it another go, you know, the old one-two. And, you know, it's it talk about desperate. And it's uh, interesting, too, as I continue with this research, I didn't know this at the time, but, um, you know, two Russian scientists in the 1970s wrote a, a detailed paper about the fact that the moon um, is a construct and that... Um, it's been hollowed out, like a hollowed out planetoid, um, and, and, and it's become like a, a gigantic um, space vehicle to, um, you know, traverse the the the, um, the cosmos. And uh, they say that um, this, much of the inside of the moon was hollowed out and became the outside of the moon. And it's uh, interesting that. Um, uh, some scientists have said about the moon, it's inside out. What's on the surface of the moon should really be on the inside. Uh, another scientist, Erwin uh, Shapiro from the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, said the best explanation for the moon is observational error. The moon doesn't exist because by the laws of physics and, uh, and all the rest of it, it shouldn't exist in that place, um, in that uh, size. And another thing that the uh, Who Built the Moon book points out very, very well indeed is the um, extraordinary relationship, uh, geometrical relationship between the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun. Um, and people need to just sort of read that book or, you know, kind of read Eumarais uh, Gaddafi needs to get into the detail, but I tell you, the relationship is fantastic, and it only works between the Moon, the uh, Earth and the sun, sun, not with the other planets. And the key to making it work is the moon. What then happened uh, as this was uh, unfolding is I um, got on to the, to, to, to the oracle, um, Credo Mutwa, the Zulu shaman, who's uh, into his, well into his 80s now, and is the most extraordinary, brilliant expert in um, all the different uh, legends and laws and uh, accounts of uh, ancient Africa. Uh, and, uh, you know, people uh, in re researching, you know, the, the background to all this, researching the history of all this, one of the places they have missed uh, massively uh, so often is Africa. The African legends are uh, uh, incredible in the way that if you take their symbolism and uh, bring it into the modern world, you can see that they are talking about um, things that um, scientists have now uh, uh, understood. For instance, the Zulus, and I found the Zulu legends, I mean, uh, you know, Kratos is Zulu, I found the Zulu legends over the years to be extraordinarily accurate in this way. They, their words for time and space are virtually identically the same word because they understood eons ago that time and space were, in effect, the same thing. Anyway, I get on to um, Kratos Mutwa, and I, I say nothing to him about all the stuff that I'm putting together on the moon and I'm being very surprised by it as I'm coming across it. Crikey, I didn't realize that about the moon. And I just said to him, can you tell me some uh, any Zulu legends about the moon? And off he goes. Yes, Mr. David, he said, and, and, and away, away he went. I mean, the man's a library on legs. And he said, yes, um, we say uh, that the moon is an egg. And again, you know, anthropologists are people that go, 
the, they say the moon's an egg. They're very primitive people. <laughs> why, why do they, why do they symbolize the moon as an egg? Because they say the moon was hollowed out and turned into a craft which was rolled across the heavens, as their, their legend goes, to the earth, and when it arrived, it created devastation on the earth, as it would, a body that large getting that close, and it made the earth move. Now, when you look at all these ancient accounts uh, all over the world about the great cataclysm, what the Bible calls the great flood, one of the common themes is the earth turned over. Now, if the moon came in to where it is now, the earth would turn over. The earth is spinning at the angle it's spinning, and it's spinning at the speed it's spinning because of the influence of the moon. The moon has massive influence clearly over, over the tides and water, and the human body is, is massively overwhelmingly made up of water. So, uh, of course, then you look at the influence of the moon, even the moon without any of the other stuff that I'm talking about that's going on inside it, uh, and that influence on the human hormonal uh, uh, systems is fundamental. And then uh, what Kratos said, he said, I said, well, who was behind this moon then, acting ignorant? Because the one thing I don't want to do is to lead people. That's, a, that's the last thing you want to do when you're researching this stuff. And he said that the legends say that the moon was brought here hundreds of generations ago by two brothers, Wawani and Umpanku, who were leaders of the reptilians, what the Zulus call the Chittahuri, the children of the python or the children of the serpent, also known as the talkers. And these two brothers, Wawani and Umpanku, the Zulu legends go, were known as the Water Brothers and had scaly skin like a fish. Now, then you go to ancient Sumer and you see the stories of the Anunnaki and the two brothers, Enlil and, um, uh, what was the other one, Enki, mm -hmm. um, two brothers, and, and um, Enki was, was very much symbolized as uh, relating to water, as a water god. I was given another name uh, to um, emphasize that. And so what you're looking at is the same story um, told by the Zulus about these two reptilian brothers as you get in um, Sumer, ancient Sumer, thousands of years uh, B.C., and what we now call Iraq, also formerly Babylon as well. Uh, you get that same story told in southern Africa. And the Zulu legends say that uh, Wawani and Umpanku stole the moon in the form of an egg from the great fire dragon, emptied out the yoke until it was hollow, and then rolled the moon across the sky to the earth and caused, as I say, cataclysmic events. And um, when you um, look at the... Um, the scale uh, of the influence of the moon on life on, on Earth, um, it, um, it supports the Zulu claim that the arrival of the moon fundamentally changed life on Earth in every single way. Interestingly, one of the Zulu legends about the Chittahuri, the reptilians, is that they threatened humanity in, the, in ancient ancient times, a long time ago, that if they did not do what they were, they, they were told and didn't serve the gods as they were perceived, then the gods would move the moon and cause great uh, catastrophe. Um, so... You know, I, I could go on and on and on about this, but, uh, you know, my, the, the, the book is 355,000 words uh, um, because um, there's so many elements to connect together before the apparently fantastic uh, uh, becomes uh, logically um, uh, possible and, and credible. 
Um, but um, the, 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 I can say this in one line. What we know about the moon or think about the moon uh, in our everyday lives without researching it is nothing like um, what there is to know about the moon. So let's sort of move ahead a little bit in Let's say this: we enter this golden age of consciousness, as you say. We break out of the five-sense reality. At that point, are the reptilians exposed for what they are? And what do they do? Do they leave? Do they do we kill them? I mean, what happens then, do you think? Well, you know, uh, you know I'm not the, uh, the, um, the oracle sitting cross-legged <laughs> on the mountain yeah. um, saying I know it all. And if I, if I was saying that, then people should just walk away. Yeah. Uh, we're all trying to work it out. But what... Um, uh, what is um, a very good analogy, again, we have to keep coming back to this because it is, it is a, an excellent analogy for the reality we're living in, um, it, uh, the computer system. What appears on the screen is dictated by the information that the computer is decoding. And this reality is that. It's information. Everything is information being decoded. Um, what, this um, wireless internet, this cosmic internet, is information which we're decoding. And in the same way, um, the meridian lines of the body in the acupuncture system have um, what the Chinese call qi energy uh, going uh, through uh, these meridian lines. Um, and that is actually photon energy, like the, this is the photon energy from the sun. We are fundamentally connected to the sun. That's where the information comes from, in the form of photons. That's what we're decoding. And um, so going through the meridian lines of the body is information. That's what it is. And, and what they found, of course, this is what acupuncture is based on, is when this information, uh, this, this energy, is not uh, moving around the body at optimum speed, it's too slow or it's too quick, um, the body becomes ill in some way. It becomes diseased, disharmonized, because the flow is not in harmony. And what acupuncture does through needles and other uh, techniques is bring that chi uh, energy, that information flow, back into harmony. In the same way that when we get a virus in our desktop computer, um, we, what's the first thing we say? Oh, my computer's slow today. What's the matter with my computer? It's so slow. Why? Because the information is not passing around the computer to the optimum speed um, for the computer system to work and, and decode most efficiently. And therefore, on the screen, things start to become distorted and disharmonized. So... The information and the state of the information and the type of information dictates fundamentally 100% what goes on the computer screen. And bringing the analogy back to the reality that we're experiencing, the information that we are decoding through the body computer it dictates what is the reality that we are perceiving and experiencing. Now, this energetic change I'm talking about, these truth vibrations, um, what, we're, what we're actually looking at in, 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 the, in this foundation uh, state is a change of information. As, as the, um, uh, this reality goes through its cycle of, of changing experience, um, it goes through, clearly, a changing cycle of information. That's what brings about the different epochs, the different yugas. And so as these truth vibrations start to impact themselves more and more, 
and we attune ourselves to them more and more as we de detune ourselves from the energy of the old epoch. In other words, we, we stop standing in that ever fast flowing river saying, I ain't moving, and we get on the airbed and say, I'm going to flow with this. In other words, we, 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 we drop our belief systems and our preconceived ideas that say that can't be, and we open our minds to all possibility. That's what getting on the airbed means in actual experience, opening your mind to all possibility, flowing where, where life takes you and information takes you. As that happens, um, then life on this planet is going to be transformed. Life in terms of the moon, the rept reptilian aspect of it, the control system, it's all going to be transformed because the information epoch on w which the control system and this reptilian manipulation is an expression of is in its death throes. It's being replaced by a new information construct and therefore the old manifestation of the old energy information is going to fall and disappear um, and the new one is going to emerge. Now, um, how that's going to manifest itself in our uh, detailed experience and, and, and all that stuff that we're talking about now, well, we're going to have to um, have the, the, um, the opportunity, the experience of, of seeing how that unfolds as it unfolds to a large extent. But for sure, if I change the information on this uh, software disk in my tower here, the information or the reality that appears on my screen must change. And that's what's happening now. And we're in this cusp, like I said earlier, where the two information constructs, the two information uh, epochs, are actually existing together at this time. And that's why we're in this, this tussle and, and, and turmoil and, and some people are waking up and some people are uh, not waking up and all the rest of it. And, and that's why we're going to go through this period of great turmoil and upheaval because um, you, can, you cannot um, uh, change the energetic construct of a reality and not have a, a point where there's great upheaval as one uh, replaces the other. And of course, as the information takes over from the previous uh, information, then as it plays out in the decoded world of the physical reality as we perceive it, then that upheaval, that um, change that's going on, uh, that tussle almost that's going on between one energy and the other one is going to manifest itself in, quote, physical events, collective and individual, that are going to be expressions of that energetic change that's taking place in the waveform vibrational level of this reality, which is the, the foundation um, of this whole reality. It's waveform. The, uh, the reality we see as physical is just the holographic um, uh, decoded manifestation of that information in the waveform. For instance, when you are creating holograms, um, the kind of holograms that we buy in the shops, what they do is they um, they have a laser beam and the part of the laser beam uh, is deflected onto a photographic print, holographic photographic print. Other part of the laser beam um, is is 
played across whatever they want to photograph holographically, and then that is de deflected back to uh, to the um, photographic print where it collides with the other half of the hol of the uh, the um, laser beam that's pretty much gone straight there uh, without going across what they're photographing. And on the photographic print, this collision creates what they call a interference pattern. And when you see them, they're like fingerprints. They're waveform. That's what a holographic print looks like. It's waveform. And you say to someone, what's that? And they go, I don't know. It's just wavy lines, mate. And then you get another um, laser and you fire it at that interference pattern on that uh, photographic holographic print. And suddenly, apparently miraculously, a three-dimensional form, that which has just been photographed, appears in front of your eyes. And the best of them, especially the digital ones they're doing now are so solid you 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 would you would believe that they they could not possibly be an illusory hologram anyway um what um is uh happening with uh with that situation with the hologram is that the information encoded in the waveform on the holographic print is read by the laser into a holographic apparently three-dimensional form and that is what the body computer is doing all the time uh, taking waveform information and turning it into apparently physical things uh, that we are perceiving as, as the world as we perceive it every day. Now, this answers one of the great mysteries that uh, I see quantum physicists have pondered on for a long time. How can a particle take particle and waveform at the same time? How is that possible? How can a particle be waveform and a waveform be a particle at the same time? Yeah. Dead simple. When you fire the laser, at the waveform on the information uh, on the holographic print and it manifests that holographic three-dimensional illusion uh, as a result when the uh, hologram manifests itself the waveform information construct doesn't disappear the two exist at the same time one is the information level, the waveform. The other one is the decoded uh, manifestation level, which is the hologram. They appear at the same time. Uh, and that's what is happening in our reality as well. There's the information level, waveform. There's the decoded level, particle holographic. Um, and um, when you, again, you know, we've been talking for quite a time already, Tim. And when you, you, you get to this point, now you start to go back to the start of when we were chatting. And you start to realize, hold on a second, um, shape-shifting is much more straightforward and understandable now than it was when we thought it was shifting from a solid human form to a solid reptilian form and back again. Because the only place the shape-shift takes place is actually in your decoded head, your decoded brain. Because what the, what the body computer does is it takes waveform information, vibrational information, the five senses turn that into electrical information, which is the same information, different form, which is then communicated to the brain, and the brain decodes that information from the electrical into the digital, um, into the holographic. So when I'm looking at a human form, I appear to be looking at a solid form because through this decoding process, I have decoded the waveform information level of that body into the holographic form. It seems to be a physical body. Now, when there is that energetic shift, 
in these um, hybrid bloodlines where the reptilian level comes forward, what's happening is the reptilian energetic waveform information level um, overrides the human level briefly. And to my observation, I'm um, decoding the waveform information of a human body. Suddenly, I'm now decoding the waveform information of a reptilian body. Now I'm decoding the waveform information of a human body again. And to my decoded observational experiential level of that uh, situation, I'm seeing someone go from physical human, physical reptilian, and back to physical human. None of that's happening except in the decoding in the brain and that's why um, when people say you can't go from a physical body to a physical body and back again I'm the first one to say of course you can't but that's not what's happening we gotta spread this stuff around let's put it on the internet you're listening to banal of america audio great heavens what kind of radio show is this pardon the interruption my friends I don't normally do this but since it is the season finale I wanted to cut in in the middle of the interview here to reach the folks who do not listen to the beginning of the program as well as the end of the show. I know you're out there. You don't want to hear the banal talking head segments. But since this is the final edition of the program here for Season 5, I want to make a special point of reaching out to all of you and asking for your help in making BOA Audio financially solvent as we close the book on Season 5 and get ready to start putting together Season 6. No matter what you donate, it all helps, folks. It really does, trust me. So please help us out and make a donation. It would be greatly appreciated. And now let's get back to David Icke on the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. So, um, you know, the webpage or whatever is just something that you guys do for fun. Do you have a, a real job? Well, that is our job. Oh. We don't technically get money for the hours we put in, but it is our job. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Now, I want to revisit uh, a pivotal moment here in your career as a researcher and in your life, really, and that's the Terry Wogan interview from 1991. Now, what... I guess just sort of take us back to that and what, what was going through your mind when all that went down. Because I saw, you know, segments of it, and you looked almost overwhelmed during the whole thing. Like, that, like there was just so much going on with you that that almost it felt almost like a setup, if you will. Like, like they they like they were taking advantage of someone who, you know, was going through this very turbulent change. But I'm interested in you know your take on it all. Yeah, um, that's a, you make some good points, actually, there, yes. Um, uh, a lot of that is was exactly what was happening. But, um, again, if you look at it from another point of view, it takes on another um, another meaning. But certainly in my life. Um, what, what happened in the lead-up to that, and it's, it's important to explain the lead-up to yeah. it, um, I, I went to that psychic I mentioned earlier who um, told me that I was going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets, which at the time, although one level of me thought, yes, this feels right to me, the, another level of me that's lived in this world, uh, you know, for a, a decades and stuff like that, I was in the 30s at the time, I think, um, was going, I'm going to do what? You know, what are you talking about? Anyway, um, after that, um, I, I started to go through a series of incredible synchronistic experiences during the year of 1990, um, after I saw this psychic in March 1990. 
and it was it was like it was and this has gone on to this day it was like some unseen force has been handing me pieces in a jigsaw puzzle virtually in the order I need to have them to most easily understand them and one of the things that I was told through the psychic in um, in that period was no need for arduous searching it was all all you need is to follow the clues it was all arranged a long time ago and that's the experience I have to say over these 20 years that I've had and so during that year I got more and more kind of a grasp on what was happening to me and I wrote a book called Truth Vibrations um, yeah. which I finished by the end of 1990 and it went off to the printers now towards the end of 1990 I then had the uh, this constant theme in my life and this this urging to go to Peru and I'd be walking down the street and I'd see an advert for Peru and all the rest of it and, and it was just um, and by this time, I was starting to understand, having been at it for a year, that uh, this synchronicity of um, coincidence was actually what I call the language of life. It's, it's life talking to you in the language of um, synchronicity and coincidence and symbols, etc. So even though I, I had very little money at the time because I um, I left the BBC and not um, not not earned any money for uh, basically the uh, best part of a year, I. Um, I, I jumped on a plane to Peru. But anyway, long story short, loads and loads of amazing things happened to me. And I ended up um, in a place called Siustani, not far from, about an hour's drive from a place called Puno in uh, in uh, Peru. And um, I'd stayed at a hotel in Puno, which was called the Siustani, and had pictures of this this place. And it's, it's an Inca ruins uh, site. And so I... I, I hired this tourist bus um, with this tourist guide and uh, uh, stuff that was with me and we went off and I went there and it was a very nice place and beautiful but and I spent about an hour there among the ruins and uh, I, I it was nice but when I went back to the bus I thought well what I've just experienced does not match the urging I had to be here. So I was very disappointed. And I got in this bus with windows on the side, a little mini bus, as we call them in Britain. And um, we go off back to Puno, but about no more than three minutes down the road from Siustani in this completely uninhabited area virtually, um, I looked across to my right and I saw this mound. This is uh, February 1991. And I looked at the mound, and all I could hear in my head when I looked at the mound was, come to me, come to me, come to me. And I thought, crikey, that mound's talking to me. Um, and uh, But it wasn't the mound. It was it was uh, just an indication this is yeah. significant. So I said to the guy, can you stop the bus? I'm going up that mound. I'll only be a minute. Well, I thought I'd be only a minute, but I was I was over an hour because of what happened. And I walk up this mound, and I didn't see it from the road, but when I got to the top, there was uh, this standing stone circle, which I've actually seen on the internet uh, while I was writing this book, actually. The first time I've seen it since uh, since I was there. And um, I, uh, I walked into the middle of it, and I'm looking back to see Ustani uh, across the, across the, uh, the valley and um, the distant mountains. And then my feet start to burn. Now, I'd had this experience before um, uh, in... Um, at the start of my experience in 1990. Uh, but that's another story. And anyway, it starts to burn, and it's like magnets. My feet are like being pulled to the ground. And then I felt like a drill going into the top of my head um, and down through my body into the earth, and another flow of energy coming the other way and out the top. And then this, uh, not voice, but very strong thought form, which didn't come from me, um, just went through my mind and said, first of all, they'll be talking about this 100 years from now, and I'm thinking, talking about what? And the second line immediately afterwards was, 
it will be over when you feel the rain. And I'm, and, and I'm sitting, uh, standing rather, at that time under a, a cloudless Peruvian sky with a piercing, very, very hot sun. He, you know, and it was um, uh, ridiculous that it will be over when you feel the rain. I thought it could be here a month. Um, and anyway, what happened then is my arms went out at 45 degrees without me deciding to do it. Um, and above my head. And um, this energy then started to get more and more and more powerful to the point where my body was shaking. And uh, this went on over a period of the best part of an hour uh, where I kept going in and out of uh, like not, well, consciousness really in a way. It's the same principle as driving a car and daydreaming and then wondering where the last two miles have gone. Your, yeah. your subconscious has been driving the car. I mean, we'd all be dead without the subconscious, of course. Anyway, um, one of the times when I came back to awareness of the situation I was in, I noticed that over the distant mountain, somewhere away, there was a light gray mist. And as I watched it, this happened really fast. And over a, quite a short period, it became a dark gray mist. And it was obvious it was pouring with rain over the distant mountains. And over the next little while, and it was, you know, I mean, I was only there about an hour. And it had been going for some time by the time this happened. Um, uh, this rainstorm came out of these distant mountains and as it got closer it was just a straight line it was literally like I've described it many times like pulling curtains across the sky it was a straight line and um, it, eventually the sun was covered up and, and in, in the end I'm watching a wall of stair rod rain coming towards me in like a straight line. It was just an extraordinary experience. I mean, you know, if you wrote it in a, in a, in a novel, they say, well, that's, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? But it happened. Yeah. And eventually, the rain hit me. And at that point, by the time the rain hit me, I mean, my body is just shaking like it's plugged into a nuclear power station. And, and then um, when the rain hit me, the energy stopped. And um, and and I, um, I I staggered forward. My my, my, my I could hardly stand because my my, and my shoulders that I hadn't felt. My arms had been up at 45 degrees all this time. Yeah. I couldn't feel before. Was suddenly agony. Anyway, the reason I tell this story is that um, whatever happened there was the equivalent of um, having my consciousness or my mind smacked with, with, with like an Exocet missile and it just broke the eggshell. It broke the bubble that I lived in up to that point, the bubble of perception. And suddenly over the next um, few uh, days and then weeks, my mind was just flooded with a tidal wave of information, concepts, perceptions. And it was um, like pressing too many keys on the computer too quickly. The computer says, can't process this, I'm freezing. Yeah. And that's basically what happened to me, Tim. Um, uh, I um, was, try was processing so much information that um, basically the, the computer froze. And that's, at that point, synchronistically, I was invited onto the Terry Wogan show, which at that time was the biggest, um, uh, one of the biggest uh, prime time audience shows in Britain. And the night I was on, I think they got 17 million in a, in a, um, a country of just over at that time 50 million. So that's the ratio you're talking about, because it had been all in the papers, this guy Ike's gone crazy. So, um,
when I was talking to him, I was still in that state of bewilderment, what's happening to me. Uh, and it was funny because while I was talking to him, it was live, of course, and the audience were laughing and ridiculing me and all the rest of it. Um, and after that interview, of course, I was ridiculed wherever I went mercilessly, um, constantly for um, at least two years. Anyway, um, as I was talking to him, I, I was aware of, of two levels. There was the level of David Icke, who had been a television presenter and respected, uh, you know, person in the public eye in Britain, um, who was who was dying a, a, a death, you know, oh my God, what have I done? I've destroyed my life. Uh, but there was another level of me which I was so aware of while I was doing the interview that was saying it's going to be fine. It's leading somewhere. Don't worry about it. This is leading somewhere. It's going to be fine. And with the passage of uh, what we call time, it, it has been. But again, about my journey, the things that happened to us. What happened to me as a result of that interview, like I say, is I went through the most amazing levels of ridicule. I mean, there can be few people in, in this country, possibly anywhere, who've been through such a concentrated, massive, unmerciless uh, uh period of mass ridicule. I mean, I couldn't walk down the street. I, going into a pub or a bar, forget it, there was uproar, you know, and, and it was just an incredible experience. I would stop at my car at the traffic lights and the, the people in the cars around me would be laughing at me. Um, it was just, you just couldn't get away from it. And when you go through that level of, of ridicule, then one of two things happen. Either, either you go crazy or you, you go away and hide. And you, you, it's over. Um, or you break through something. You break through that fear of what other people think of you uh, and how other people perceive you. And um, I wrote a book um, uh, just after that called I Am Me, I Am Free, um, which was basically inspired by the fact that I went through this process of letting the mass ridicule serve, serve me in a way, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, um, but with hindsight I can see it, to release me from the prison that most people live in, which is the fear of what other people think. Now, in my journey up to this point, and again, we, we come back to what I, we were talking about right at the start with the reptilians, um, if I had not been through that process of mass ridicule and therefore cleansing this concern with what other people thought of me, there is no way in the world that I would ever go public about shape-shifting reptilians. Yeah. The number of people that have said to me, look, mate, I've seen it. I'll tell you what I've seen it, but don't mention my name. I can't take the stick I'll get if people know it's me. Um, and and um, if someone's going to put these things out, if somebody, for goodness sake, mate, if someone's going to talk about the moon not being real and all that stuff, and, along with reptilians and along with the, this is an illusory reality, then if you've got any vestiges of worrying about what people think of you and how, how they might ridicule you, laugh at you, dismiss you, then forget it. You ain't going to go there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's the, it's, it, this is why the personal journey of people doing this and the information that they are uncovering and pursuing and communicating are fundamentally connected because the person has to work on themselves to get to a point where they can, they can, they can put this information out because if they don't, then they're not going to put it out and they're going to say, I'll go here because people won't laugh at me here up to this point, but I ain't going there. 
Um, and, and, and therefore, all this information, which people need to have access to so they can say, well, what do I think of it, would never get circulating. You know, when I came across the reptilian stuff, I put reptilian ETs and variations of those words into a search engine, and I got a handful of pages. Put those words in now. Tens and tens and tens of thousands of them. That's because once you get out and it starts circulating, then it's got a chance of, of, of having people look at it and think, well, it may sound crazy, but let's just look at it without preconceived idea. Do you know, this seems to make sense. People, a number of people have said to me, it makes sense to me. It shouldn't. I know it shouldn't, but it does when I look at it. But they wouldn't say that unless someone put it out there. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it must be... You know, gratifying because, uh, like, uh, like uh, what happened in that interview, everyone was kind of laughing at you and everything. And you know, I, I saw the 2006 Wogan interview, and it seemed like it was a complete reversal. I mean, it seemed like they were laughing at him almost for being sort of clueless to what's going on. Yeah, that that was was the the end. It, it's an interesting that you should bring that up because um, when I was asked to go on the Wogan show just a few years ago now, um, where they where he was interviewing guests that he'd interviewed in his previous series years ago that I talked about. Yeah. Um, I said yes immediately because something told me this is this is the end of an era. Uh, this is this is tying the ends of that period of your life. And so um because by this time of course I'm a very very different person. I'm a much wiser person. I've uh, had that come to me through sheer experience. Uh, I, I understood so much more. I wasn't in a, in a bewildered state anymore thinking what's happening to me or what the heck's going on. I mean, I was only weeks, uh, um, uh, it's only like a few weeks after that experience in Peru that I was sitting in that studio in the first interview. Um, and uh, so when I went on, it was a very, very different interview. And I walked out, I walked out of that studio that day and I thought, okay, new era starts now. That's the old one that's the end's tide of the old one. Now we start a new one, and that's pretty much what is what is what has happened. So it's uh, it's funny how life uh, our life works and um, how we attract these synchronistic things to us, which we call coincidence, but are not coincidence at all. Well, while we're talking about sort of like periods of your life, I feel compelled to ask you about this whole turquoise period because I know I've heard a lot about it and. I feel like I haven't really heard anything fr about it from you uh, in recent years, maybe because people are afraid to embarrass you about it. I don't mean to, uh, you know, put you on the spot or embarrass you about it. I mean, I feel like maybe it's sort of like the whole idea of, like, people's hairstyles in the 80s, you know? Like, what was I thinking back then? Is that what this is all about? Or, you know, what was going on with the whole turquoise period? Uh, well, well it's, it's, it's real simple. It just fits in uh, with what we've been talking about. After I'd um, been had that um, experience on the mound in Peru, and um, uh, I came back to uh, uh, Britain, um, I became extraordinarily attracted to the color turquoise. Simple as that. And, it, it, you know, it was so fast after the... Um, experience in Peru on the mound, that clearly the two were massively, completely connected. And um, of course, turquoise is a sacred uh, stone, sacred color to Native Americans and stuff like that. And with the first time I, I met Credo Mutwa um, in uh, South Africa, um, he was uh, decked from his neck to his feet in bright turquoise. 
Um, uh, so I was very, very attracted to that color for about three months, and I used to wear it all the time. And 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 um, and then um, after the after the Wogan interview, the first one, and I went through all that massive ridicule, and I'm still thinking, what's happening to me? Suddenly, it was like waking up. Well, it was a period about three, it was probably about three months uh, from the mound to what I'm about to talk about. Um, I. Um, I kind of was almost woke up one morning, and everything had morphed into some kind of clarity. And if you like, the computer had unfrozen. And uh, as the computer unfroze, so I, I ditched the turquoise. I didn't feel that I, I needed to wear that anymore, and I haven't ever since. But I, I still think it's a lovely color. I mean, you know, I got um, I got a lot of um, I, you know. Uh, I like that color a lot, and um, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, uh, it was just that period where I was massively attracted to it because, of course, you know, as you well know, Tim, um, everything's a vibration. The colors are vibration, and and um, colors, uh, in, uh, like all vibrations, carry certain amounts of information. They um, affect you emotionally because they affect you vibrationally. This is why when someone puts a certain color on, they'll say, "Oh, you look so good in that in that color. It just makes you." Sort of vi- vibrant. Yeah. Then you put another color on, um, and it just takes all all the all the energy or the color out of your face. And yet someone else could could swap those colors and have a, the opposite experience to you. Uh, so we think with different vibrations, which we call colors and shades of color, um, in different ways. And at that point, because of something going on in me vibrationally, because of that mound, I, I became uh, very uh, attracted, i.e. vibrationally connected, attracted to, to the color turquoise. And then when the, when the computer unfroze, if you like, Bang! Uh, the turquoise was not was not attracted to it anymore in that, in, the, in the same way. Okay, interesting. Now I'm going to sort of hit some uh, just general sort of questions. Um, now, in in your work, you pretty much say the reptilians are a race of, for lack of a better term, ancient aliens. Let's say, with that in mind, what do you make of contemporary UFOs and what's going on here with the UFO phenomenon of the last sixty years or so? Well, I, I, you know, I, I, because there are so many levels to this, and there are so many um, aspects to this 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 tapestry of, of of knowledge and this tapestry that that is the world that we live in, and there's so many levels to it, so many vibrational levels to it, and 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 what have you. Um, it's it's difficult because you can you talk on on one level, okay, about the five sense level, and you you'll, you'll use certain words and then you'll talk about another level the interdimensional level and you you you, you might use other words and uh, so um i don't talk about them as extraterrestrial though they're obviously if they're not of the earth they're extraterrestrial everything is yeah. um uh, i i talk to call them interdimensionals uh because i think they move in and out of this reality but uh, of course what we're dealing with is all possibility you know when um when I uh, when I perceive uh, infinite reality, I perceive its core as um, all possibility, um, infinite uh, potential, unmanifest potential, and that manifests itself as stillness and silence, because we think that silence. You, you say to people, "What can you hear?" and they go, "Nothing," but actually. You can hear everything, because within the silence is all possibility, unmanifest. When I start talking, I am pulling one possibility out of all possibility, and when I stop talking, 
it's gone back into all possibility again. And so the, the, the core uh, of infinite reality is actually stillness and silence. It's unmanifest potential. Um, and this is why when I was, um, I was the, the only time I've taken uh, a psychoactive uh, drug, ayahuasca in a uh, Brazilian rainforest in 2003, this um, voice, take a female form, talked to me for five hours in great detail about the illusory nature of reality. And one of the things it said to me was, if it vibrates, it's illusion. Because the, the, the base state of everything is stillness and silence. If it vibrates, it's illusion. It's creation out of all possibility. And so we have these worlds that we call realities, like this frequency range and another dimensional frequency range and all the rest of it, which are actually um, vibrating to a certain uh, speed. That creates the, the, the reality and the frequency range within which a certain experience, reality exists. And, of course, like I say, they interpenetrate each other like radio stations. So... Um, what we're dealing with when we talk about extraterrestrials and other forms of life uh, uh, not of this world, we're actually dealing with all possibility. Therefore, anything is possible. So, uh, you know, when you look at the... Um, the different forms, the different forms there are in this world, different human forms from the Chinese to the black South Africans, etc., and all the amazingly different forms in the, in the animal uh, uh, kingdom, the animal realm, um, that's just a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of all possibility that we're looking at. And look at the diversity. It's unbelievable. So then you take it on to the next uh, stage, Tim, when you go um, uh, beyond this planet or even beyond this uh, reality and then just multiply the potential of possibilities and manifestations of possibility and, and but, well, cracky, you, you, you're into infinity already. Yeah. So when I, I talk about the, the reptilians, I'm just talking about one aspect, one expression of um, a, a form, a, a, a species if you like, uh, but there are infinite other forms uh, out there that are in different states of awareness. Some of them are very intellectually dominated and they're therefore very technologically advanced but very spiritually uh, 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 dead and, and they, they can be very dangerous and destructive because they're very clever but they're not wise and cleverness without wisdom is the most destructive force you could come across um, because you know you can you can be clever enough to make an atomic bomb but if you're wise then you don't um, and you're certainly wise if you don't drop it yeah. so w we're dealing with these reptilians that appear to be very intellectually advanced um, therefore technologically advanced and aware of how you can manipulate energy and situations and mind control and all the rest of it but they do not they're not um, uh, expansive enough in their consciousness um, to, um, to, 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 to use that knowledge wisely. So they use it for control and, and manipulation and imposition. But there are other uh, non-human um, species out there in their different forms, both, both within this reality and in other realities that intersperse with this one or interact with it, that, 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 that do have um, a, a, an awakened consciousness and do have a, a benevolent um, uh, agenda, if you like, or, or view of, of the earth and, and, and humans and, and what we're going through. So it, there are many, many different forms out there, and, and um, it's not just about, you know, if you like, 
controlling uh, extraterrestrial or interdimensionals, and and that's it. There are many, many different aspects of this. And so, um, you know, people can have experiences of, of non-human entities, and some of them can be of the manipulating type, but some of them can be of the benevolent type. It's just it, there are so many different uh, – see, this is the funny thing. People say, is there life out there? Do you think, do you think um, extraterrestrials are visiting the Earth? I mean, if we only realized it, I mean, there's – Enormous numbers of different species that are, uh, are interacting with this planet. Yeah, not, it's not you know just we found one. There's loads of them, but most of them operate outside of our uh, immediate frequency range of what we call visible light and electromagnetic spectrum as, that we can decode, and therefore we don't see them. And and um, I, I think that um, part, uh, maybe a major part of this epoch change as we expand our consciousness is that we are going to start to encompass and interact um, as a matter of course eventually with these other extraterrestrial non-human uh, species and, and uh, you know, groups um, because uh, there's so many out there. Okay. Here's sort of a question that just came to me uh, throughout the course of this conversation here now. It's sort of a really big picture question, but it's one that uh, I'm really intrigued to ask you, and that's, you know, in light of all this stuff, okay, you know, the illusory nature of reality and the multiple dimensions and, and the reptilians and everything else, I guess, have you ever pondered the nature of a god entity? You know, what's your take on, you know, the ultimate creator? I mean, do you think that it's some sort of intelligence or is it some sort of like mathematical equation or a wave, if you will, you know, something that's a force of nature more so than you know, an intelligent uh, designer, if you will. Like, what, what, what do you think of all that? Well, you know, uh, we, we go back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, for me, uh, what people call God, what I call the infinite, is that silent, still, all possibility. And from that becomes manifest worlds. Okay. And in in in... Because we're all, in the end, the same consciousness, we are all that infinite possibility um, made manifest. Um, in the end, we're all the infinite. We're all expressions of it. And in so many ways, it seems to me that um, what we're experiencing is the infinite experiencing itself. In other words, as as we experience ourselves, we are the infinite experiencing itself. And uh, I um, look upon this um, reality. And of course, you know, if you're going to experience yourself, it's not always. You know, imagine if you went through life, um, and I mean, I can talk from my own experience big time uh, about this. I already have. If I went through my life, and um, from uh, the time I was born to now, I'd had it easy, and everything had been fine and rosy, and I hadn't had any challenges, and I hadn't had all these things that have happened to me, would I be doing what I'm doing now, um, saying what I'm saying now? No way would I uh, uh, be doing what I'm doing now. So, um, you know, experience is experience, and sometimes it's experience we don't like, and sometimes experience we do like, but it's just an experience. And if we can uh, pull back, from I am David Icke, um, I am my experience, to um, I am infinite consciousness having an experience as David Icke, having these experiences, then um, you, you, you kind of one step back from, from getting pulled completely into the experience and becoming um, engulfed by it. And the way I – see, this is the thing, Tim, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes because – you get asked questions, and understandably, in different situations over the over the time about this, that, and the other, and you you answer them from the point of view that the question's being given. Yeah. But 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 
what actually I'm I'm doing is I'm 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 seeing all these different things um, at different levels, but realizing that they're just points of observation. So from from the point of observation of humans in a physical body having an experience now, the world is being uh, taken over by crazies um, and being taken over by by by. Um, uh, deeply, deeply um, uh, flawed uh, people who are using uh, computer program type people in uniforms and dark suits to take the world over for them. At that point, you know, you can observe it from that point. From another point, you can observe it and say, actually, it's a group of extraterrestrials that are taking over this planet or interdimensionals who are taking over this planet um, and they're using these people in dark suits and uniforms to do it. Uh, and then you can, you can go uh, wider and wider to the point where you say, it's all a game. It's all a cosmic game. That's all it is. It's just an experience. And we're experiencing um, a, or have been experiencing a very challenging part of this yuga cycle, this vibrational cycle that manifests itself as apparently the secular nature of what we call time. But time and space are just what we decode from the information construct into the appearance of time and space in the holographic world. Um, and so, um, when I look at it from the big picture, is it's an experience, and there was no one on another level pointing an AK-47 at our consciousness and saying, "Get in that body, or I shoot." So, what we need to to, to um, uh, ask the question is, why did we choose to be here at this time, having this experience? It's like the Oracle said to Neo in the Matrix: um, you, "You're not here to make a choice. You've already made the choice. That is being here." Um, what you need to understand is why you made the choice. And um, what happens is when consciousness is experiencing through the lens of the physical body, the body computer, it um, has its uh, exp uh, perception um, range um, li um, limited um, and suppressed because it is um, experiencing this reality um, through a vehicle. And um, it's like when a spaceman goes uh, goes out in space, he's limited by the vehicle that he wouldn't be if he wasn't in the in the spacesuit. Yeah. And and I I was um, I mentioned this in the book. I was uh, had an experience uh, maybe a couple of years back now, where I'm sitting in the bath and suddenly this this series of pictures appeared to me. And the first one was billowing energy. It was a yellow billowing energy, which I took for some reason immediately to be consciousness. And then an eye appeared in the um, energy, and then in front of the eye appeared a telescope. And on the end of the telescope was the Earth and, and this uh, solar system, this, this universe. And then the last movement was that the telescope morphed into a human body. So the eye, consciousness, is looking through the body into this reality. And so what happens is that we experience our lives here um, from the limited perception of the uh, the lens, the the, um, the body computer, um, but that level of us that made the decision to be here and to experience this actually was not subject, is not subject to that limitation. So therefore, we, we go through our lives and we're saying, I'd never have agreed to this, I'd never have done it, stupid, never would I have agreed to this. But but then again, you, you, you it's like you're not here to make the choice. Yeah. You're here to understand why you made the choice. And and the more that people expand their consciousness, the more they, they, they break out of the, the, the imprisonment of preconceived idea and preconceived rigid belief, the more they vibrationally get closer to that level of self 
which is with that, uh, outside of the body computer. And when you do that, I know from my own experience, the more you start to then understand, ah, I understand why I am here doing this and why all these things have happened to me because it was to get me to this point in terms of my understanding so I could do what's coming next. And it's a completely different uh, way of looking at the world and looking at our own lives. Um, and um, uh, I, I wouldn't change. Well, maybe it's a couple of things I would change, but um, um, uh, there were people that came into my life and caused mayhem. But um, they, um, apart from that, uh, and again, they provided experiences, same thing, really. Uh, it's just that I would rather not have them. But uh, I, um, when, I, when, when I, um, I look at my life and my experience now, I, I, I don't see it the way I did before I started to look at life differently. And, and life is easier when you do that because you don't get um, – uh, pulled into this, why me? Why am I so unlucky? Um, you know, how could this happen to me? I, you know, I, yeah. I'm just, I'm just a good guy trying to do good things. Why is this happening to me? Because, um, you start to realize that, um, you know, the experiences you have that often you don't like are the ones that give you the, the greatest gifts. I, I've said many times, uh, in the, in my books over the years, um, life, uh, it has this, um, brilliant ability to give you your greatest gifts uh, brilliantly described or dis brilliantly disguised as your worst nightmare. I mean, we've all experienced that. I'm sure I have. Absolutely. Um, and, and you look back and you think, I wouldn't want to experience it again, but I'm glad that I did because it led here. And there's so much going on in our lives and um, there's so much going on around us. There's so much going on in our awareness. Um, and if you start to read the language of life, which is how the holographic world talks to us, because the holographic world is a, a manifestation of the energy, the information construct, by reading the signs in the holographic world, you're actually, with your conscious mind, reading the information construct, um, and therefore you can see things. It's like if you, you decide, preconceived idea, this is what I want to do with my life, and this is, I'm not taking anything else. Well, that's fair enough. That's a choice. But what if um, the door to what you want to uh, do just won't open? What do you do? You bang it a bit more? What do you do? Kick it now? It's still not opening. And yet over there is a door swinging open saying, over here, over here, this is for you. But no, I want to do this. And um, so being fluid in, and, and not rigid, because when we have any form of preconceived rigid belief, then we're already limiting po all possibility. Yeah. All, all possi to, to access all possibility, we need to be on that airbed, not standing there in the river saying I ain't moving because what that's saying is I have now limited my possibility to I ain't moving. That's it. There is no other possibility. Yeah. But you get on the airbed and you flow with it and you say, look, I'll go where life takes me and I'll go where my intuition feels to go. Life it starts to be an adventure and that's open to everybody, everybody. All, that, all we need to do is to, is to remove the cause of the problem and that's preconceived idea, preconceived belief and the perception of self that we are David Icke, Ethel Jones or Charlie Smith. We ain't. That's our experience. When we realize that, that we are infinite consciousness, infinite potential, having that experience, then um, our sense of limitation starts to dissolve.
Interesting. Okay. Um, now, taking things down to a purely human level here, and as someone who, you know, is obviously an icon of the conspiracy research genre, what do you make of what seems to be sort of a stagnation of the whole 9-11 truth movement? I mean, it seemed like it had a lot of momentum going for it up until about the fifth anniversary, and it's sort of been sort of winding down since then. It's really not the hot-button topic it used to be. No, well, the, 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 you know, there's a few reasons for that, I think, and one of the main one, what ones is, is the passage of, of what we call time. It's like uh, Bill Hicks, the great uh, American comedian. He, as part of his uh, his uh, act, uh, he, he used to say that um, he, he, people um, used to say to him, uh, "What do you keep going on about the Kennedy Kennedy assassination, man? It's long ago. Forget about it." You know, and he says, "Well." Don't keep talking about Jesus to me then, you know. <laughs> but um, but the point I'm making is that it's like, oh, that's the Kennedy assassination. The fact that the Kennedy assassination was a, a, an incredibly potent example of the way the control system works and how it manipulates and covers up, uh, people forget because it was back then. And, and with every year that passes, of course, um, in, the, in the public mind, 9-11 becomes less and less important. I mean, uh, you know, uh, even, the, even the manipulators are hardly talking about it now. So that, of course, is, 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 is a, a real uh, basic reason why it's, um, it's lost its momentum. Um, and also, uh, ironically, uh, my feeling is that it's actually a fundamentally important area of research because if you can show that 9/11, as as it can be, but if you can get it in the public arena that the, in a massive way that 9/11 was a scam, then everything that's followed uh, since it is 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 part of that scam. I mean, Afghanistan, um, I Iraq. I mean, they kind of directly connected to 9-11, but they bloody tried, and, and the whole atmosphere of going in there came from 9-11. The, 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 the war on terror, the, the, the uh, police state, the Orwellian state, all comes back to 9-11. So it is a fundamentally important uh, subject, and, and I'm very sad that it, it has lost momentum because it needs to... Um, it needs to go on be, being uh, uncovered and go on being exposed because in so many ways it's 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 the thing that on, on, everything else rests upon that's come uh, since it happened um, and another area that i would suggest that is related to this uh, tim is yeah. that you know there comes a point where you keep saying the same thing and it might be true but you're going round in circles what is there left but to say the same thing again? Yeah. Um, and this is what happens if you operate, as uh, we were talking about earlier, in this I'm going here but no further realm. I'm going here but no further. Once you say that, then then all you can do in the end is just repeat yourself because the area you're working in eventually gets worked out in terms of anything new. Yeah. Um, um, but but if you if you say, look... Um, let's just let's just look at this dispassionately, okay? Let's just take a deep breath and just sit back and look at this. Look at how the control system is coming in in a multi-leveled, synchronistically connected way, where you've got the everything from food additives to banking scams to oil disasters to. Uh, um, uh, wars to uh, uh, the medical scam to the uh, um, the, uh, the transnational corporation uh, pharmaceutical scam and, and, and then you've got the, the manipulation of the military, you've got the manipulation of governments uh, you've got the World Health Organization manipulating this vaccine, uh, look at it 
Look at it, how it's all coming in across the world together. And then tell me that it's being orchestrated by a, 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 a group of men, uh, mostly men, in dark suits, sitting around a table saying, okay, what's our next move? It ain't. It's bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. It's the only way it could happen if it was bigger than that. The rabbit hole goes infinitely deeper than that level of it. And if you only stay at that level and you will not expand and look at um, the deeper levels of the rabbit hole, then eventually, of course, as I say, you're, you're going to basically um, work out the mine, you're going to work out the oil well of information, and you're basically going to then spend the rest of your time, in effect, repeating what you've already said. And what happens then is things lose their momentum. Um, because, oh, yeah, I've heard it before, and, 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 and you're saying the same thing again. When we're dealing with all possibility, um, and we're dealing with uh, the, the scale of what's going on, then we have to constantly keep um, expanding our awareness and our area of research uh, with the understanding that it is much bigger than, than ever uh, people thought about. And therefore, when you do that, the momentum continues because you're constantly uncovering new things, new levels to it. And in the end, this is not going to, this is, this is only going to really change when the, see, this, this reality that we're experiencing is, is very, very akin symbolically to a movie theater. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time um, you're looking at the movie screen, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. You, um, you've got the, 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 the actors acting on the screen and you're watching them. There's no way at the point where that movie hits the screen that you're going to change it. No way. It's a done deal. And so the same with our reality. When we have decoded the vibrational information into electrical information, into holographic information, by the time it hits holographic information and we're experiencing it, it's a done deal. You ain't going to change it there. This is why um, the system is quite happy for people to believe that the answer is out there as we perceive it. It's not. As we experience the world, it's happened. It's, it, it's a done deal. Don't change it now. What we need to do is to go to deeper levels of self, what we call the subconscious, and not just the subconscious of the individual, but the, the subconscious of this reality, the information waveform level of this. Uh, in, 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 in the movie theater terms, we need to get to the back of the theater where the, where the, where the projector is, and we need to change the reel. Because if we don't change the reel, that movie, done deal, is going to keep playing out on the screen. Um, and, and so the, the, the rabbit hole is much deeper. It's much deeper in terms of, of, of how the cabal and the control system is, is orchestrated. And it's much, much deeper in terms of where it comes from and where the answer to it comes from. Because in the end, everything is a manifestation of waveform information, vibrational information. That's what we have to change. And if we, if we just go round and round in the garden, um, as, as much of the conspiracy research movement has started to do, and won't go any further, that Ike's crazy, or he can't go there, that's mad, that would never happen, it's not in, not in line with my religion, and anyway, it's not in line with my vision of reality, I ain't going there, then of course, it's bound to lose momentum. It can't help it. Interesting. To take it to a personal level here now, uh, I take it based on what you said earlier, you know, that you, you're sort of just relishing this life. You don't really wish that things had gone differently or that you hadn't really gone on this journey. So if, so we don't really need to go there, I guess you could say. But 
you know, looking back, if you hadn't gone, gotten into all this, if this, if this awakening hadn't happened to you, what do you think would have become of David Icke? Uh, you know, you were pretty much a rising star there in, in the Green Party and a television presenter. You know, where do you think you'd be here in 2010? Given well, I'd, 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 pro- I'd probably be uh, kind of coming to the end of a television career or something like that. But because, you know, my journey was never going to be that, it was never going to be that. It was always going to be this. Um, and so I don't really think about where I was going to go. I mean, you know, uh, I, I look at I look at my life um, and I wouldn't want to be anyone else doing anything else but me doing this. And, and you know, that's, that's a privilege, really, because I'm sure there are many, many, many uh, unbelievable numbers of people in the world that wouldn't, wouldn't have the... Um, wouldn't say that about their own lives, um, and um, so so I wouldn't cha- change that. I mean, I, I changed some people that came into my life. I mean, uh, one of the ironies is that um, some of the people that have um, uh, told me uh, most times uh, verbally how much they love me and how much they care for my work and how vital my work is and it must get out there have turned out to be the people that have been most challenging to my health, my life, my, my work. That's a kind of irony, but I've learned a lot from it. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's an experience, and therefore it's an experience I've, I've, I've grown from. But uh, I, I would rather it not have happened. Life would have been easier without it, I can tell you. But, uh, you know, you accept these things and you, you, you get on with them. And, um, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that, uh, that I'm, I'm doing. And I, I just look forward, you know, I think, you know, it's 20 years since I consciously started to awaken, and and when I look at the amazing things that I've that I've seen and uh, come across, and 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 of course we're going down the rabbit hole. Um, therefore, the, they're going to become more amazing and more extraordinary. And as we get deeper in the rabbit hole, more and more potent to what is necessary to turn this around and make a difference. So, you know. I, I look forward to, to the rest of my life with, with, with tremendous anticipation. And uh, I don't want to leave this reality, no matter what happens, until the job's done, really, or my part in it's done anyway. Well, that's a perfect uh, segue to the final question here before we get to what's next for you. And that's uh, sort of uh, an existential question. That's, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years. I guess the, the existential part of it is like, when do you know when you're done? When is the work done? Uh, my, I, I think, from my experience over over this period, my work will be done when I'm no longer here. You know, um, I, I think that's that's it, really. Um, I, I think that, um, and I kind of came across this um, right early on, um, uh, 20 years ago. This theme in my life um, that there are people who are here to push the pyramid over, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, push the control system over. And then there is the next generation who are there to build up uh, a new world in a new energy with a new, uh, from a new point of perspective and consciousness. Uh, and uh, we're seeing those generations coming through now, the young, young, younger people of today and the children and younger people of today um, are, are coming through. And th- there are some amazing young people in the world. I, I, I get fed up of, of, of seeing young people criticized and put down all the time. Um, uh, if, I, um, if I had have spent uh, my, my early years consuming um, uh, cocktails of um, chemical poisons in what we call food and drink and, and all the rest of it, then I, I would probably... Um, go off the rails in, uh, uh, as well sometimes because it's rewiring the brain chemically. That's what they're doing. It's, it's absolutely outrageous.
changes. And when they've rewired the brain, then they say, oh, behavior problems, we've got to give you Ritalin and all the other stuff. So they're bombarding young people for the same reason that we talked about earlier. They're trying to, to knock them off kilter at this fantastic time of potential uh, change of awareness and consciousness. But those generations, there are some fantastic young people, some amazingly aware young people, uh, and they're the generations coming through to take it on to the next stage as the truth vibrations become the dominant uh, information source in this reality. So I'm going to keep going until I keel over, because when I keel over, I know it's done. And um, I hope that uh, when I get um, out of this body and I, I look back from an out-of-body state and I'll symbolically smack my hands together and say, job done. That will be great. And uh, there's so many people that now around the world who are, are playing a part in this, and there'll be more all the time. Every time someone else awakens, there's another man in the team, another woman in the team, another child in the team, another young person in the team. And uh, it's just going to go on expanding. But we're at the cusp now where the, as I've said many times, the immovable object which thinks it is, the control system is coming face to face with the irresistible force, which is, and that's this information vibrational change that we're experiencing. Well, before I sort of get into the what's next for you, let me run down the tour dates so you don't have to. Uh, you're going to be hitting London September 11th, Prague September 25th, New York City on October 17th, San Francisco October 23rd, Lisbon, Portugal October 30th, Barcelona on November 6th, Amsterdam November 27th, and then over in uh, 2011, you'll be in Kiev, Ukraine, Mexico, and Los Angeles. So just an amazing slate of appearances for you. And, of course, the new book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees. People can find out all that information at davidike.com. But beyond all that, <laughs> what's next for you? What else do you have going on? New book coming up or uh, interesting research maybe that you're uh, pursuing or anything like that? Well, in, uh, in about 10 days, I'm going to South Africa to spend two weeks with uh, Kreda Mutwa. Um, I'm going with, uh, with Bill Ryan from Project Camelot, who's going to do the filming. And uh, we're going to uh, well, go through um, as much information that's inside that amazing man as possible. So it is um, preserved for all time because uh, it's, it's not got many people, if any, to pass his amazing knowledge onto. And so uh, I'm going to uh, go through it all with him over a period of two weeks and um, just, you know, uh, uh, in, in videotapes uh, 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 galore and get down uh, out of him um, everything that he, he wants to share with us. And then also not only turn that into a, a library of DVDs, the Credo Mutwa um, Library of Knowledge, um, but also um, get it transcribed into some books for him as well, which will give him a, a some income because he's uh, obviously uh, struggling uh, there often with all the things that he does and all the people he looks after. Uh, and after that, I'll be, of course, going around the world. But but there's a big change happening in me, um, inside of me this time. And um, I'm getting more and more and more indications that there's a, there's a whole new level of awareness and a whole new level of uh, perception and understanding that's about to be um, unveiled in the next uh, few months or so. I can feel it. You know, I'm going through tremendous changes myself, and uh, it's like um, uh, there's just a whole amazing new world about to be put before me, I think. That's the feeling I'm getting and the indications that I'm getting. And it needs to, too, because, you know, we have to keep moving. We have to keep expanding our understanding. 
Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I've used the um, analogy before of uh, you come out of the womb and, and most people um, pitch their tent very soon afterwards and say here and no further. And then other people go a bit further and they'll be environmentalists and they'll pitch their tent and say here and no further. Some people will then go a bit further and they'll pitch their tent and they'll say the five cents mainstream conspiracy research but no further. And then some people go extraterrestrials and pitch no further. But if you haven't got a tent um, to pitch, you just keep walking. Then, um, then the adventure goes on and, um, you know, amazing things um, are put before you that if you pitch your tent, you'd never see. And like I say, I don't have a tent. I'm not going to pitch it. I just want to, I just want to enjoy um, the, the amazing adventure of, 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 of seeing more and more of what, what is unfolded before me. And um, it's just an amazing, amazing thing to experience. And I'm just um, so privileged, uh, I think, to be me doing what I do, because I wouldn't want to be anything else doing any, anyone else doing anything else, and that is a privilege, like I say, in itself. Absolutely, yeah. Well, David, we've come to the end of the conversation. Um, before I thank you personally, I want to thank your son, Jamie, for really helping me out to get this whole thing up and running. He's a great kid, and he did an awesome job uh, you know, making this happen. And I want to thank you, of course, for coming on the show, for being our season finale guest. I've wanted to talk to you now for like the last five years, so to have the opportunity has really been just amazing for me. This has been a tremendously enlightening conversation. It's, as I said, pretty rare really to get sort of the optimistic point of view when it comes to this whole conspiracy thing. And it's really refreshing that uh, your research has gone down that road. And it, it really sort of ends the season here on a hopeful note, which is great because you know, a lot of people in the paranormal community, parapolitical community, esoteric community, you know, they're sort of uh, held down a little bit by fear of the future. But it sounds to me from this conversation that while we still have to be active and still have to keep waking people up to what's going on, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, so thank you for sort of in imparting that knowledge to us. And once again, thank you so much for coming on BOA Audio, for being our season finale guest, and I hope this is not the last time we talk about all this amazing stuff. It's been a real pleasure, Tim. And, uh, of course, the, the, the end of everything, no matter what happens, no matter what we experience, uh, at the end of the day, we are infinite consciousness. We are all that is, has been, and ever can be having an experience. And no matter what happens, we're always that. You know, what is there to fear? Nothing. That does it for the season finale of BOA Audio Season 5. Big, big, super huge thanks, of course, to the incomparable David Icke for coming on the show and for being our special season finale guest. You can find out more from David Icke at the website www.davidike.com. Pretty simple, all one word, davidike.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, since this is the final episode of Season 5, we're not going to do any listener feedback. Wanted to sort of devote the end of this program here, the final episode of the season, to providing some feedback to all you great folks out there. First of all, of course, I want to give a hat tip to all of the great guests we've featured on the show this past season from Jim Mars and Governor Jesse Ventura on Episode 1 all the way to David Icke on Episode 33. In previous years, I would list all the guests here at the end of the show, but trust me, folks, we're talking about a 40-plus list of people who've been on the program this season, and nobody wants to listen to me read through that list here at the end of the show. So 
overall, allow me just to give a hearty thanks to all the great folks who've appeared here on BOA Audio Season 5, all 40-plus guests, for helping us to create another fantastic and fascinating season of BOA Audio. Over the last couple of weeks, I've definitely been doing some reflecting on the season here. It's been tumultuous at times. There have been some heady gaps between episodes, but I think at the end of the day, episode for episode, I would say Season 5 certainly stacks up against the previous seasons of BOA Audio. It's been quite the season. I was looking back at some of the episodes, you know, from the first 10 or so editions of BOA Audio Season 5, and it's stunning to me how much time has gone by since those interviews were posted just amazing to me that they were all part of the same season. So collectively, it is quite the group of researchers and experts on just an amazing array of paranormal genres. So just stunning stuff to me. And of course, once again, big, big, super huge thanks to all the great folks who gave us their time and appeared here as part of BOA Audio Season 5. Of course, I want to hear from all you folks out there. This is the final episode of the season. You've heard 33 editions of the program over the last nine months. I want to hear your thoughts on the entire season as a whole. Plus, as we've been saying here for the last few weeks, I want to know who you want to hear on season six. What topics do you want to hear covered on the next season of VOA Audio? How do you do all that? That's easy. There's three main methods to get a hold of me, plus the social networking sites. Let me roll through the list here for you. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. That's pretty easy. I check that every day. Or just go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the contact button. And, of course, the final method is to join up at the official BOA forum, the U.S. of E.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. We call it BOA's Paranormal Playground. It is quite the group of folks there having a lot of fun talking about the paranormal as well as the world of pop culture and sports. So if you're interested in finding a place to hang out and chat during the off-season of BOA Audio, you definitely want to swing over to the usofe.com and join up and join in on the fun. As noted, I'm also available on all the various social networking sites, Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace. Befriend me, follow me, poke me, it's all good. So those are the main methods, email, contact button, BOA forum, and the social networking sites. Get a hold of me, folks. Up next, obviously, is the thanks portion of the program. Allow me to tip my hat and thank the outstanding BOA staff for all of their friendship, support, and insight throughout Season 5. It has absolutely been invaluable to this program. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carolin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. These folks have really done such amazing work for Banal of America over the last nine months and beyond. Hugely supportive of the program, always offering their thoughts on not just the latest episodes, but what direction the show should go as things progress. They have the inside track on BOA Audio, and they are just an amazing sounding board for me to get some insight into what the listeners might be thinking. 
And in addition to that, their contributions have really helped BOA become more than just a podcast. It's really fueled the evolution of this franchise into one of the premier paranormal websites on the net. And I can't thank all of them enough for their part in making that happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the BOA staff. You guys are amazing. It's been a true joy to work with you, and I want to thank you in advance for your contributions here during the downtime. And I'm looking forward to seeing what y'all come up with here over the next few weeks and months as we get ready to roll out BOA Audio Season 6. We say it week in and week out, folks, but now more than ever it's true. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Ben All of America, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Before we go any further, I would be remiss if I did not stop the program right here and now and offer out the biggest thanks of all, and that definitely goes out to all of you, the amazing BOA listeners. Thank you so much for your tireless support of this program, your donations to help keep the operation up and running, and your patience during the down times when we've been extremely late with posting episodes. That is something I'm certainly aware of, and I hugely appreciate the fact that you guys keep coming back for more BOA audio. It never ceases to amaze me really how massive this program has become, and trust me, Every time I consider that, it is not lost on me that the remarkable growth of this whole program is entirely thanks to you guys, the listeners. You've made this program a global phenomenon via your grassroots support, and it is really and truly humbling to stand at the helm of the mothership as we journey together through the realms of the unknown. I've said it at the end of every program this season, and I mean it, folks. You are the fuel that drives this machine. You are the source of power for BOA Audio. You guys are what makes this whole thing happen. Don't ever underestimate what you've done for this show. It is as much your fucking program as it is mine. And I want you to know how much I appreciate all of you out there for your support. It really is something that keeps me going week after week throughout the season, knowing that there are so many people out there that are looking forward to hearing the show that it really helps get me out of bed some tough mornings and makes me go to bed early some rough nights when I know I got to tape a big interview the next day because I know folks are going to want me on my A game. So I'm just getting a little choked up here, but I want to thank you all for your support. You guys are awesome. I've already pestered you once at the beginning of the show and during the middle, but let's go for the trifecta here, folks. I really desperately need your financial help as we close the book on BOA Audio Season 5, I would definitely like to close the financial books and have us, at the very least, breaking even on the season. You've heard 33 episodes so far this season. We've interviewed 40-plus guests on the program. Just the phone bills alone for that sort of thing, as well as the bandwidth, takes a tremendous financial toll on yours truly and much of it is offset over the course of the season by the great BOA Audio listeners who make donations. There's no sense in me beating a dead horse. All I'll say is that you can make a donation via PayPal by going to Banal of America, or you can just send us a donation via snail mail. No need for me to read the address once again. You got it at the beginning of the show, and you can find it at banalofamerica.com. 
So head on over to the website, either click the PayPal button or jot down the snail mail donation address. And if you could help us out, that would be great. Shoot us a donation, as we say all the time here, folks. If you can only shell out a little bit, that helps. Trust me. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise freely available for all you great folks out there heading into Season 6. And I don't want to make any grandiose promises here, but I will say that I would certainly like to have the season premiere of Season 6 done maybe 10 days to a week ahead of time and make it available to folks who make a donation. So there's a little bit of an incentive there for those folks who make donations to Banal of America. If you've already made a donation during Season 5, don't worry, we've got you on the list. And when Season 6 is ready to kick off, keep an eye out in your email inbox for information on where you can find the special donors edition of the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. So I don't want to just ask you for your donations just to help us out. I also want to be able to promise you something here as Season 6 kicks off. I know I make a lot of promises about getting episodes posted by deadline and stuff like that, but I can assure you I will deliver on this one for the great folks who have helped us out. Traditionally, this is where we tease the eventual return of BOA Audio in the form of, obviously, an all-new season of programs. As of this moment, we are looking at a late November, early December time frame for the premiere of Season 6. I'm thinking shortly after Thanksgiving, most likely, if not maybe the week before Thanksgiving. And while I got a little choked up here reflecting on all you guys and how awesome you are and how huge you've been to this show, I'm not particularly saddened, I guess you could say, about closing the book on another season of the program. In previous years, I would be really sad about it, because the future of the show is always tenuous at best. But this year, I'm really signing off very comfortable in the knowledge that we already have a slew of guests lined up for season six. I mean, I sat down and made a list of all the folks that either have committed to coming on the show for the next season of the program or that I know for sure will be back on the show next season. And it's quite a list already. And I can tell you right now, it's only a short matter of time before I start sitting down and doing the research and taping these interviews. I can't say too much more about season six, except for the fact that, as always, we'll be welcoming back some of our favorite previous guests, as well as some intriguing new voices on subjects ranging from the familiar to the paranormally peripheral, and all together doing our best to bring you the most unique paranormal content in all of esoteric podcasting. So stay tuned to be away over the next couple of months for news on Season 6 as it becomes available. And of course, shoot me your guest suggestions, topic suggestions, and thoughts on not just Season 5, but what you'd like to see in Season 6. I'm happy to be taking a break. I'm looking forward to having some downtime. Of course, for the folks who listen to the PopCast initiative, this is not the last time you'll be hearing from me over the next few weeks. We've still got four more editions of the PopCast coming at you through September and October, but I am definitely going to miss talking to all you great BOA Audio listeners here at the end of the program each week. It is truly a joy. It is really such an amazing gig that I really and truly love doing, and I hope we can continue 
this journey year after year after year and that season five is just one more small step in the amazing legacy of this program. I don't have anything else to say, so I guess we'll shut it down here and now, folks. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, wishing you an excellent autumn, thanking you for your support over the course of BOA Audio Season 5, and signing off.